Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus and Exodus in chapter number 24. Exodus and chapter number 24. Now as we're starting to progress on, remember as we had mentioned this morning that we're going to start jumping passages a bit by bit because it's starting in Exodus in this area here where people's Bible reading starts slowing down. Every year when people said, I'm going to start reading my Bible through, they start on Genesis and said, oh, this isn't that bad. I'm going after these stories and going after here. You start reading the book of Exodus and you see the plagues upon Egypt and the, the, uh, the dividing of the Red Sea. And then you start to get to Exodus 20 and 21 and you start to get to some of the laws and some of the the um, nuts and bolts of it. And then you get to the orders of the tabernacle and people start going, oh. And they'll start slowing down and then they give up on their Bible reading and say, well, maybe next year. And so what we're going to be doing here, instead of hitting all the nuts and bolts for the purpose of this series, we're just trying to focus on the life and ministry of Moses. And we're going to be putting our attention on the narrative parts of Moses' life. So starting from this section, we're going to be jumping from here to there, hitting some important sections, hitting some things of the narrative. But as we come to Exodus chapter number 24 we come back to another narrative part. And so with that, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Exodus in chapter 24. Exodus in chapter 24. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 1. Exodus 24 and verse number 1. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these 
words. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Exodus chapter 24? Exodus in chapter number 24, and notice the phrase in verse number 4. Speaking about Moses, wrote all the words of the Lord. Wrote all the words of the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit this important passage. In fact, the first recording of writing the words down here. Writing the words of the Lord. And with this emphasis here, let's preach on this message. Writing, or wrote all the words of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you that we have your written word. As we go through this, help us to understand even more the importance of having your written word, what it is here for, and what we agree to. I'm asking that you would just open our minds, open our hearts. Let us have an understanding of the importance of this event here. And we're so thankful for what you have been doing. Just continue to work. I'm just asking that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit now. That we could <laughs> preach your word faithfully. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, as Moses has now spent the last couple of chapters from Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, all the way up to the end of Exodus 23, Moses has been listening to God expound more, give some more commentary on the law. And as we approach this passage here, the first th thing I want to show you here is God's words are given. God's words are are given. Now, again, as I said, Moses has now spent the last several chapters listening to God expound on the law. He's been ex given the he's already given the Ten Commandments in front of the people. Now he's called Moses to himself at the behest of the people. Remember, the people said, "No, no, Moses, we don't want to hear God's voice ourselves. You go talk to him. You go speak to him. Uh, we'll be content with you just to relay the message to us. We trust you. We don't want to hear God actually speak to us anymore. We don't know if we." We can handle it. So Moses has gone up and he spent the last several chapters listening to God give the words. And Moses is going to come and he's going to recite the words to them. Moses has been listening closely. Now God finishes at the moment. He's going to call, ask Moses to come back in just a bit. But he pauses and says, all right, let's go check on the people. I want you to go gather up the people and... Um, Take a little pause, and I want to see how well they're responding to my words so far. So notice with me in Exodus chapter 24, and the verse, two verses, we're getting this idea, the context that God pauses, tells Moses to go get the people. Notice in verse number 24, and he, that's God, said to Moses, come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, that's Moses' brother, Nadab and Abihu, this is going to be Aaron's two sons who are going to be helping him in the priesthood as it's being developed. And 70 elders of Israel. These are the, going to be the leaders of the people. Remember, there's two and a half million people. So it's not practical to bring the two and a half million people. But it is practical to bring the leadership who are going to relay the messages, who are going to represent the people. And so those 70 elders have come. And worship ye afar off. So bring them. We're going to have a little worship service. And remember, what is a worship service, by the way? Are they singing songs and putting their lighters up and waving their hands? Remember, the idea of worship is the idea of worship. What they're doing is they're assembling themselves together 
to tell God how worthy he is. They've just got through listening to God's voice. Now Moses has spent uh, some time with God and he's come back down. And he says, all right, you've heard God's voice. Let's gather together and let's take some time to acknowledge who God is. Who is God? God is the God of the universe. God is the boss. God's the one who's going to be the judge of you and me. He is the God of everything. And we need to be reminded that when we talk about the Bible, we're not talking about the preacher's words. I didn't write this. We're not talking about some words that some guys got together and said, you know what, we're going to write some Bible today. But this is God's words that are given. God has used human penmen to write them down like Moses when Moses wrote down the words. He didn't write down Moses' words. Moses wrote down what God told him to write down. So this is a book that God gave. This is God's words. And God is the creator of the universe. And they needed to take some time as they are associating what God has given in his word with who God is. God is God. Why should anyone obey the Bible? Because it's God's words. Why should anyone listen to what the Bible says? Because this is God's words. I heard a preacher when he opens up his messages, you know, for example, I come up and I have my normal thing that I always say, please take your copy of the word of God. But this other preacher, he takes the Bible and says, what we have here is God's thoughts. These are God's words. So let's see what God is thinking about in Exodus chapter 24. And by the way, he's not wrong. These are God's words and God's thoughts. This comes from God. And so we associate the word of God with the person of God. This is why it's so important to us. This is not a book written by man. These are God's words that are given. And they take time to worship God and acknowledge who he is. And once they remember who he is, then they open up God's word and listen to who he is. By the way, we still structure our service like this. Why do we have a song service? It's not to make us feel good, even though that may be a side effect. The whole purpose of the worship service is to get our minds on who God is. And with the acknowledgement of who God is, then we're going to respond to God's words knowing about him. So we have to come to this premise here that why is this so important? Why do we listen to some preacher jabber on for a while? Because it's not the preacher's words. In fact, may I remind you that as a preacher, I am required by God to preach the word. Not my thoughts, not my opinions, and not what's on my heart. I'm supposed to deliver God's words. It should be little of me. I'm a human instrument, but it is God's words that are important, not mine. And we have to keep that in context. We are listening to what God has to say. Not what the preacher has to say. It's all centered around the character and person of God. And so God gives the instructions that have a worship service to acknowledge who God is. Then we move to the second thing here. That not only are God's words given, but we also understand that God's words are written. God's words are written. Notice with me as Moses has gathered up his brother, Aaron, 
Nahu and Abihu, who is going to be helping Aaron. And the 70 leaders, notice in verse number 3, what is Moses' instructions and what Moses does. Verse number 3, and Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. And the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. So notice, before they start off, they worship God and acknowledge Him. Then Moses takes time to recount what God has given him from Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, all the way up to the end of what we would call Exodus 23. Now, he didn't have chapter and verse divisions. He just said, this is what God just told me. Let me tell you what God told me. And so he recounts the things that have occurred in the last several chapters that God has told him. And so before anything is done, Moses says, now that we've gathered, we've acknowledged who God is, let me tell you what God's words say. And so he delivers God's words. And he, notice again in verse 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. Not the words of Moses, but the words of God. And all the judgments. And notice how the people responded. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. So God agreed brought the people, had them hear the word of God, and they agreed to the terms. Now this is important. If you're thinking logically, what's going to happen is that God is going to give 613 laws, which are going to become, in essence, their constitution. I'll cover more of that in a different uh, setting. But what God is doing is he's setting up a brand new government. And he's setting up the constitution of this brand new government, of how this government is meant to run. This is why we as Americans who believe in the Bible, we don't necessarily follow the rules that are given in the Old Testament law because it was the constitution for that specific nation. Just like we don't employ our constitution and apply it to Canada as much as they may need it. <coughs> um, it doesn't work that way. So it's a constitution for that. Now, think about this. Before God would spend time to give all 613 laws and explain the reasoning why and explain his purpose and reveal himself, he wanted to see if the people were going to even listen to it in the first place. All right? So before we write anything down, before we do anything, let's just go here. We'll acknowledge who God is. Let me read you what we have so far. Let me explain to you what God has just told me up on the mountain that you, by the way, people told me to go listen to because you didn't want to get it yourself. You said you agreed to have someone to go in between you and God. That's fine. We did that. Let me tell you what God said. And the people said, we agree. Now, this is going to be practical because why should God give them more rules and more things if they said, ah, we don't care. You're not, we're not going to listen to you anyways. So they had to listen. They had to agree to the terms. They had to understand what they were agreeing to. They had to understand what God was going to be expecting of them, that he was expecting them to live holy lives. He was expecting them to live certain way in order to be pleasing to him. And so they agreed to the terms. 
So after they agreed to it, notice what happened after they agreed. Verse number four. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. So after the people agree that we're going to listen to whatever God says, then Moses took time to write down all that God had said. This is going to be the first written word of God. Now, before we do have an instance where Moses wrote down the, uh, the incident of the war, the little battle between the Amalekites with Joshua <laughs> leading the charge and Moses holding up his hands. And so we have that historical account of what happened. But what we have here is the actual recording of God's rules. This is the first instance of God's rules being recorded. Moses wrote them down and the people are going to, uh, are going to be expected to live by these rules. And what we see here is an understanding of who God is. Of how God's gracious. God is not expecting us to live by prophecies, by dreams, by visions, by pepperoni pizza induced nightmares. But he's expecting us to live by a written rule by the Bible. So this to us is a comfort. There are so many people who do not depend on the Bible. They may call themselves Christians, but they depend on dreams. They depend on nightmares. They depend on visions. They depend on feelings. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. The written word of God. By the way, because of this, God is going to judge us by the word and not by pepperoni pizza. I say that, but we all understand people are guided and they look for signs. They look for, oh, look, I found a heads up penny. Therefore, my decision I was just thinking about is the way I should. God doesn't lead us by superstitions. When we stand before him and give an account of our life, he's going to say, I put a penny in your way. Didn't you understand what I meant? You had a flat tire that day. Didn't you get the message I was sending you? God is clear on his messages. He leads us on a plain path. This is a comfort to us that we don't have to go search for what the clouds say. I think that's a cat. Therefore, I think I should feed my cat. Again, I'm being facetious on purpose because we know people who do this. And may perhaps there's been a time where you did that. We have to be careful because we're not judged off of clouds we're not being judged off of your dream last night. We're not being judged off opinions of others. We're judged off of the written word of God. Therefore, this is why we need to know what the Bible says. And so Moses took time on the behest of God. The people agreed, said, whatever God tells us, we'll do. He says, all right, then let's write it down. So that way you don't even have to recall your own memory. You could use the word of God. God says you can look it up for yourself. You can see what it is. You don't have to discover God's will in some mystical fashion. You only have to obey what God has written for you. Doesn't that make it simple? 
I don't have to flip coins. And if I, I'm going to flip five pennies and if three comes up heads, that means it's God's will. I know people who do that. We don't have to. We only have to say, what does the Bible say? And if the Bible says it, I'll do it. That is what we're going to be judged for. That's what we're going to give an account for. Now, after this, Moses sets up an altar. And remember, we've explained before, an altar has been risen up when people meet with God as a, uh, as a time where they meet with him afterwards and thank God for what he has done and his provision. And so they set up this altar. Now, they're going to use this a little bit more. We come to the third thing here, that we started off with mo God's words were given, God's words were written, now we can see God's words are read. God's words are read. So notice with me as we come to verse number 5. And he, that's Moses, sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt sacrifices, or burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Again, this is a young man's thing. Moses is 80 years old. Eh, yeah, 80 years old still. Aaron is 83. So they're kind of old. So might as well have the young men do something. And so they help do the sacrifices. The people have made an agreement that they are going to honor the Lord and his word. And so what they're going to do is they're going to come up with a ceremonial agreement, a covenant, an evidence that both parties are agreeing to the terms, to the word, we're going to agree to the promises that are given. Now notice as this is set up, verse 6. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. So half of the blood he puts in basins, he says, we'll use this later. But then he takes half of the um, blood, <laughs> and he's, he's going to sprinkle them on the altar. Now what they're doing here is that this is a pictorial way of showing that the people agreed to God's terms. The people said, we agree. And so they said, proof of it, God, you demand blood. You've explained your word. We've now written your word. Now what we're going to do is we are going to say that we agree in this ceremonial thing of using blood to show this picture that they have agreed to God's term. It's their way of sealing the agreement. It's their way of handshaking. You could see this all the way up to Genesis 15, where God is sealing the promise he made to Abraham. He did a ceremony where blood was spilt. By the way, that's a fascinating agreement back then, because God put Abraham asleep. And so therefore, Abraham could not agree to the terms. We see that God made an agreement with himself concerning Abraham that he was going to keep his promise. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But in this one, the people were awake and they had to agree to the terms. We agree to the terms and as a ceremonial way of picturing that we agree to the terms, Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the altar saying, we agree, the people, we agree that whatever your word says, we're going to follow. Notice as this goes on. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said all that the Lord hath said, we will do and be obedient. Now before, 
they had read God's, or he, they had spoken God's word. All right, this is what God's word said. They declared it, and then they wrote it down. Now that it's written down, that's another thing altogether. Here is the written agreement. Do you agree? Now, they didn't have tablets and nice little clicks where they could press the box. So they had to do it a different way. But they all said out loud, we agree. Now, remember, who's there? It's not the two and a half million people, but it is Moses. It is Aaron, the two young men of Aaron's sons who are going to be helping him in the priesthood. And the 70 elders who are representing the people. So by proxy, they're agreeing for everyone. We agree to these terms. We agree we're going to obey to what is written down. And so again, Moses read it out loud. So that way they heard what it said. So they couldn't say, well, Moses, you put something extra in there. You added something. No, we read it out loud. This is what's written down. This is what we're agreeing to. Nothing else but what is written. We agree to the written word of God. And the people agreed to it. Then in verse number 8, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Now, in verse number 4, that Moses set up 12 pillars. These 12 pillars were to represent each tribe. And they would have the leaders of each tribe standing by the pillars. And so each person was by their representative pillar. And when they do this, each, um, they were dedicating their lives to being in God's honor. Moses read the word. They agreed to it. Then Moses took the other half. Remember, he had set the other half. And he sprinkled it upon the people. When he sprinkled it upon the people, this was showing that God accepted the terms. So the people said, whatever God says, we agree to it. And so they sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they read it out loud. The people agreed again. And so Moses <laughs> sprinkled the people saying, all right, God now seals the deal. So both parties have agreed to whatever is written down that we're going to obey. That is what we're going to do. That God accepted the covenant or the agreement. Now again, God judges us. By God's written word. Now we know that we can have a difference of opinion. We have a different thoughts about this and that. There are different philosophy things that we could uh, disagree on. But one thing that we need to agree on is the word of God. That's the basis. I have a preacher friend of mine who gave a testimony that he was pastoring a church up in New York area. And the church had been without a pastor for I think nine years. And the church needed some help and... So when he first came in, he was trying to help them out, but they had been so used to doing different things themselves without a pastor that it was hard for them to submit to the authority. And there was a time that they called the pastor in and they said, would you please come with us? And okay, you're always in trouble with that. And he goes into the meeting and there are men lined up all the way around. And he goes, this is not good. And so they brought him in the... Um, in the middle and they begin to list their grievances. Well, we don't like this and we don't like this and we don't like this. And again, the pastor was caught kind of unawares. They didn't know that this was going to happen. But he said, what he did, he didn't know what else to do. But he said, what we're going to do, gentlemen, is that we're just going to agree on this. Would you please agree with this? And he put his Bible down and he kneeled upon his Bible and said, we're just going to stand on this book. And he said, it was kind of amazing 
that almost like when Jesus wrote <coughs> the sins of the people on the earth, that people started to live, leave one by one by one. Satisfied with the answer, let's just agree to the word of God. Let's just stand with what the Bible says. Let's just, if the Bible says it, we'll agree to it. Let's just stand there. And when you do that, it makes things simple. It really simplifies things within the church life because we can all get on the same page. What are we doing? Whatever the Bible says. If it says it, we're going to obey it. We're going to discern God's will. We're going to find God's will from the Bible. When we try to operate, when we try to move forward, we're going to try to go because this is what the God's word has guided us. We're going to agree to this. Now, this is important because one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account by how you obeyed God's word. By the way, because God agreed to it, he promised to keep his word. There are so many promises in the Bible. That's why we sing the song with such joy, standing on the promises of God. But may I remind you that you can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. If you don't know what the Bible says, how can you obey it? If you don't know what the Bible says, how can you claim the promises? If you don't know what God's agreed to, well then, how can you claim it? You know, so many people are missing things out in their life that God wants to do for people because they don't know God's promised he would do it. We're missing out on so much. The God's word is not just... An agreement for us. It's also what God agreed for us. What a great thing it is. This is the agreement between two parties. God agreed to take care of us in this book. God agreed certain things to us from this. But at the same time, we have also agreed to obey this. That's our agreement to him. Maybe I could give you a great example. In fact, let me give you an example of a covenant, a promise that was covered in blood. The Bible says very clearly in his word that us, we as people, we're sinners without a doubt. You say, what's a sinner? A sinner is anyone that's disobeyed God's law. We just got through talking about God's law. What's an example of God's law? Well, the Bible says in God's law... Thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it this way, don't tell lies. Well, we've broken that law. We're guilty of disobeying that law. The Bible says when we've done that, we're a sinner. We have sinned. The Bible says in God's law to honor thy father and thy mother. We say it this way, to obey your folks. If we ever disobeyed our folks, we have broken God's law. Now, because of that, because God is the God of all the universe, he can say what is right, what is wrong. He can also list the consequences of it. What is the consequence of breaking God's law? The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Do you know for each one of God's Ten Commandments, the sentence is the same? Death. You say, that's pretty harsh. It is. But God is a holy God. Why is it so harsh? Because God is a holy God and cannot be in the presence of any sin. 
And what God's law does is show us how we've all sinned that comes short of God's glory. There is none righteous, no, not one. It's actually of God's mercies that he shows us. So that way we're not self-deceived. The Bible shows us where we've fallen short. But the Bible clearly says, for the wages of sin is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a funeral here, we would have a casket here. And we would say the person inside of the casket would be dead. Because their body is there, but their soul is separated out. The Bible goes on and says, because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from a holy, righteous God. We deserve to go to an awful place called hell. Because that's the only other place to go. You said, that's not good news, preacher. But that's what God's word says, so we have to believe it. You said, well, if that's what God's word says, why should I believe it? Because of the good news. What is the good news? That God did not want you to go to that awful place called hell. In fact, he didn't want you to go so badly, but he has to fulfill his law. He cannot go back on his word. He has to keep his word. So what he did is said, because something has to die, I'm willing to die for you. And so what Jesus did is he came from the glories of heaven, robed himself in flesh, and came on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks, then he died on the cross, spilling his blood. What happened when he spilt his blood? What he was doing is he was signing in contract, in blood, just like this Old Testament day, saying, this is what I agree for you. I'm signing this promise in my blood, I'm sealing it with my blood, that I paid your price if you're willing to agree to the term. That's why the most precious Bible verse to us is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that's you by the way. That's your part of the contract. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish or go to that awful place called hell. But instead, you have everlasting life. See, Jesus paid the price for you and he paid it with his own blood. All you have to do is agree to the terms. That's all you have to do. Jesus did all the work. All you have to do is say, we will accept these terms. What a wonderful thing. We accept these terms. God made you a promise that if you accept those terms, that you have everlasting life. You'll never perish what a wonderful promise that God gave. And that's something that we could look at the Bible. Sometimes I'll ask people, how do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? By the way, when we look for that answer, it's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I feel like it. It's not because I said a prayer. You know why I'm going to heaven? Because God made me a promise. And I agreed to the terms. I'm going to heaven because of what God's word says I don't have to depend that I feel it I don't have to say I'm going to heaven because I had a dream of a 90 foot Jesus I'm not going to heaven because I saw an angel said you're doing well by the way I'm giving you quotes of people that have told me in, within the last year that's just this year what people have given I'm going to heaven 
Because God made me a promise. And I accepted that promise. I'm going to heaven because of the Bible. In fact, this is why I sometimes ask people, can you show me from the Bible how you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Every born-again Christian should be able to go to the Bible and say, I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven because of this verse. And be able to show me a verse. By the way, John 3, 16 is not the only one. There are plenty more. There are tons of them. I'm going to heaven because God made me a promise and I accepted the terms. But let me tell you that the Bible gives you much more promises than just salvation. I encourage you to find it for yourself. There are so many in here. Now, there are things that God expects us to do and we're held accountable to. And you need to find out from the Bible what you are expected to do. God lists it down so you don't have to hope or guess or think. Everything within the Christian life is answered in the Bible. From how we speak, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, let no evil communication proceed out of thy mouth. That's a, an instruction for us. You know, the Bible actually says how to have good days. You have to look up that verse. It's a wonderful uh, verse in there. It tells you very quickly. Part of that, how to have good days, is to watch your mouth. You know how many times we ca cause bad days for ourselves just because we open our mouth and cause problems for us? The Bible gives that, that in there. That's good instruction. But there are promises in here. Wonderful promises. Oh, if I could just take hours, I'm not going to, but if I could take hours, I could show you promise after promise after promise, which you need to know for yourself. You can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. Some people are trying to stand on promises that God did not say. And you're hanging out on a cliff with no bottom. There's nothing for you to hang on to. There's no solid ground. Can you go to the Bible and say, this is what the Bible said? This is what God has guided me. Here's one in Romans 8 verse 32. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That means that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Don't you think that God would give you $8.49 if you needed it? Aren't you glad there's not a cutoff limit? That's a promise I can claim on. That means when I do have a bill that needs to be made, when I have a need that has to be fulfilled, I can go to him and say, God, you love me enough to send your son. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm trying to say, God, you promised you would meet my needs. And I could trust you because you promised to clean your word. Maybe I'll give another one. I wasn't thinking of this, but my pastor did this often. My pastor gave a blank check. He said, I dare you, I double dog dare you to tithe. He says, if you're not better off after one year of faithfully tithing, then I'll give you your money back. Some people say, how can you give a blank check like that? Because God promised to fill that check. God promised to take care of that. Now, remember, being better off doesn't mean you're richer. But there's spiritual blessings. There's all kinds of things that God can do. He could draw you closer to it. There are so much more than just paper money. God could take care of you. You understand there are so many promises God's given in the Bible. Try them for yourself. And again, you don't have to go off some imaginary thing. 
Open the Bible and see for yourself. God is trustworthy of his word. And he does expect us to also abide by his word because we're going to be judged by his words. Now, again, have you ever played a game where the rules kept changing? God doesn't do that. His words are written down. You could see them for yourself. And that's what you're going to be judged by. Not someone's thoughts, not someone's opinion, not someone's internet article or YouTube video. It's going to be based off of God's word. So let me ask you, dear friend, first of all, have you ever trusted for yourself that, if, that your sins are forgiven, all of your sins are forgiven? If not, let me tell you the greatest thing that happened is for me to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins can be forgiven if you'd be willing to agree to God's terms. Second of all, how's your Bible reading? The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read God's word for yourself. Why? So you could find out what God wants from you, but you could also discover what God wants to do for you based off of his promises. You need to be reading God's word so you know what it says for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. You read God's promises for yourself and apply them and obey his word. Oh, what a wonderful God that we have. I'm so thankful that it's written in an easy-to-hold manual. I'm glad that we don't have to depend on commentaries of commentaries of commentaries. I'm glad that we don't have to untangle so much legalese laws. We don't have a library of Congress that we have to memorize. We don't have to remember every statute and ordinance. We just have to go to God's Word. May I say we even have the great privilege that we don't have to memorize it all for ourselves? But you could read it for yourself. You could look it up. You could be reminded of the promises. I'm glad that God doesn't even have to let us depend on our own faulty memory. Amen. But we could read God's word for yourself. So let me ask you. Are you treasuring God's word? Are you using God's word? Are you depending on God's word for yourself? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.